Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. Earlier this week, my family and I went into the CBD to go shopping. And on the drive home, we went past the National Gallery of Victoria. Now, typically driving past the NGV is exciting for the kids because they love seeing all the water fountains out the front. Unfortunately, this time, as we were stopped at the lights outside the National Gallery, so was a tram. And the tram was blocking the kids' view of the fountains. In typical Finley fashion, he said to the tram, move, tram. And you guessed it, nothing happened. But this didn't deter him. Finn kept asking the tram to move until suddenly it did. And his face lit up thinking that he was the boss of the tram. Now as adults, we understand that my three-year-old son has no authority over the tram or its driver. And we know that the tram moved, not because Finn said so, but because the tram driver was watching and waiting for the change of traffic lights, their ultimate authority. Allow me to paint one more picture for you. Imagine you're a recent graduate and you have just arrived in the office or at the work site for your first day of work. And imagine that on your first day, two people come up to you asking you to complete a work assignment. One of the people who approaches you is the managing director or the CEO of the company that you work for. And the other person who approaches you is a first year university student who's just interning at the company over the summer. Which one of these two has authority? over you. Which of the two must be listened to? And which of the two must you do what they ask of you? Well, obviously, the CEO is the one who has ultimate authority in this situation. And as a result, they are the one that you must listen to and do what they say. In our passage for this morning, Jesus is 30 years old and he's just left his hometown for the final time. He will not return home after this because his people, the people who knew him best, just tried to throw him off a cliff. And after walking back through this furious crowd, we read in Luke 4, 31, then Jesus went down to Capernaum a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, he taught the people. The immediate question which comes to mind is this, how will Jesus and the message that Jesus brings be received in this new town? Will they try to throw him off the cliff, like the people in his hometown of Nazareth? Or will they respond differently? To give you a spoiler right up front this morning, they respond differently. 
instead of collective fury, which led to a collective attempt to throw Jesus off a cliff, we read the people in Capernaum in verse 43, tried to keep Jesus from leaving them. You know, unlike the people in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, these people in Capernaum, they didn't want Jesus dead. They wanted Jesus to stay. Talk about opposite responses to Jesus and his message. This begs the question then, why did the people of Capernaum try to keep Jesus from leaving? Or or maybe more positively, what was it about Jesus and his message that caused the people to want him to stay? The simple answer is authority. Jesus' words had authority. Not simply authority like traffic lights, but authority like that of a CEO. Jesus had positional authority and the ability to make things happen. In verse 32, we read this. They, the people of Capernaum, were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Why? Because his words had authority. And in verse 36, we read this. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with what? With authority and power he gives orders. What is important to note, however, is what Jesus has authority over. Here in these verses, Jesus is seen to have authority over impure spirits, illnesses, and demons. In verse 33 to 37, we read an account of Jesus rebuking a demon and commanding it to come out of a man that it had possessed. And it came out without injuring the man. In verse 38 to 39, Jesus rebukes the high fever of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And it left her. And then in verse 40 to 41, Jesus healed people with a variety of illnesses and facilitated the withdrawal of demons from many people. Jesus has authority and control over things which we struggle to understand. He has positional authority and the ability to make things happen in spheres that we struggle to comprehend or, if we're honest, even acknowledge the existence of. Therefore, the people are so amazed. Verse 36 again. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to what? To employees? No. To disciples? No. To impure spirits. And they come out. Jesus gives orders And the impure spirits and illnesses do what he says. It's no wonder that the people are amazed. It's no wonder in verse 37 that the news about Jesus spread throughout the surrounding area. It's no wonder the people in verse 40 brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illnesses. It's no wonder that in verse 42 the people search for Jesus after he went out to a solitary place. And once they find him, they tried to keep him from leaving them. They were amazed because Jesus' words carried authority and power 
over things far beyond any ordinary person's understanding or comprehension. Not only could Jesus comprehend the existence of demons and impure spirits, but when he spoke, they had to do what he said. Not only did Jesus see the various illnesses that people suffered from, but he also spoke to them. The illnesses, that is. And he healed the people with the illnesses. This is next level authority and power. And the question must be asked, well, who is this person? Who is Jesus? Fascinatingly, like a few weeks ago, when we spoke about the title, the Son of God, and we said that even the demons acknowledge Jesus as God's Son. So here in our passage for today, the demons are acknowledging Jesus' identity. What's fascinating is Jesus' response. We see this identity and response in two places. In verse 33 to 34, as Jesus was about to get a demon out of somebody, we read that the demon cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? As if he could. I know who you are, the Holy One. Of God. Then Jesus, verse 35, rebuked the demon, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And then in verse 41, we read, Demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. On one hand here, Jesus is identified as the Son of God, which, as we said three weeks ago, meant that Jesus had a unique, exclusive, intimate, reciprocal relationship with God. That Jesus was elected by God to reveal God, to proclaim good news, and to be the king of an otherworldly kingdom, an authority figure who must be listened to. But on the other hand, this is not an identity Jesus wanted to broadcast. In these verses, we see Jesus rebuking the demons, telling them to be quiet and not allowing them to speak. Not allowing them to speak specifically, because in verse 41, they knew he was the Messiah. Because they knew he was God's chosen person to bring the preferred future to pass, a future that's good news for the poor, a future where prisoners and the oppressed are set free, a future where the blind are given sight, a future where people once again experience the Lord's favour. Here Jesus is with an intimate relationship with the God who created everything. Here Jesus is with a role given to him by God. Here Jesus is as the king of another worldly kingdom. Here Jesus is as an authority figure and someone who must be listened to. And yet, despite all this, Jesus doesn't want who he truly is to be broadcast. And that's an important lesson for us. He isn't in it for the fame or the fortune or the recognition. He is simply here to do what he was sent to do. And we read what that is in verse 43. Jesus says, I must. And there's a sense that I can throw everything else out of my life, but I must do this one thing. 
It is a requirement for me. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? That good news to the poor, that good news to the captives, that good news to the oppressed, that good news to the burdened. Jesus says, I was sent. I was commissioned. I was sent to do something. And I must fulfill what I was sent to accomplish. And that is simply this, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to proclaim that there's more to life than simply the world that you live in right now. To proclaim that there's a kingdom that is coming, that is good news. To proclaim that a preferred future is ahead, that it's coming. To proclaim that there's a kingdom, an otherworldly kingdom, a kingdom of God, where God is the one who is king, where God is the one who is reigning, where everything that is bad will be remade and be good again. A kingdom where there is no tears or pain. A kingdom where the poor are elevated. A kingdom where the lowly are lifted up. A kingdom where the blind receive sight. Jesus is saying, I've come to proclaim that kingdom. I've come to tell people that there is something to get excited about. That this is not all there is in this world. That there's something to look forward to. There's a hope that you can put your trust in. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to this morning, to put our hope in a future that is good. Put our hope in a future where God is king over all. Where the addictions that we carry through our lives are redeemed. Where those who are poor in spirit are raised up. Where those who are grieving know true and everlasting peace where those who know brokenness intimately are restored. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with a God who is bringing that to pass in our world and in to the future. There's so much in this passage that we can't discuss today. But there are a few things that must be discussed. At the beginning, I shared two illustrations, one about Finley and one about a graduate. Jesus is like a CEO. He is not a CEO, but he functions like one. He has positional authority and he has the ability to make things happen. And he makes things happen not just in this worldly sphere, but in an otherworldly sphere as well. And he's inviting you to a relationship with you this morning. And you know what the good news is today? For those of you who might be sceptical, for those of you who might be wondering, well, that's all well and good that you believe in demons, but I don't believe in demons. For those of you who, who are proud and don't want to admit there's some brokenness in your heart and in your life, Jesus doesn't first say trust me. Jesus' invitation, as we'll see next week, is follow me. Follow me. See how I live. Watch how I do it. 
Walk in my footsteps. See if there is life there. See if there is a, a, a view of a coming kingdom that is good for you. The invitation is to follow him. And as you follow him, you'll learn, as I have learned and as so many millions of people have learned over the last 2,000 years, that he is who he says he is. And that then after we follow him, he invites us in the midst of following to trust him with our life direction. And then the third thing that he invites us to is to obey him. Just as the demons obey him, just as illnesses obey him, just as these impure spirits obey him, Jesus invites us to follow him, to trust him, and to obey him. And to be honest, who wouldn't want to follow a king who loves us, a king who wants the best for us, a king who is ushering in a kingdom of hope, a kingdom where the lowly are raised up, a kingdom where the blind see, a kingdom where the lame walk, a kingdom where the addicted are freed, where the oppressed are free, where those who are heavily burdened have their burdens lifted off, a kingdom where those grieving There's no tears. The kingdom where the anxious find peace. That's the invitation. Follow me, Jesus says. Trust me, Jesus says. Obey me, Jesus says, because you have followed me and you trust me. You've seen that I'm good. Follow what I am calling you to do, that I might lead you into this preferred future for your life. The second thing today is simply this. Jesus is the king. He is. And we've seen that already in Luke. We've seen that already in Luke. That even the demons, even the demons say that he is the son of God. Even the demons say that he is God's chosen instrument to bring this preferred future to pass. But what I emphasize today is he's not a king like our politicians, who are in it for the power and the fame and the glory and the superannuation. You know, he is a king who is here to do what he was sent to do. And one of the things he was sent to do was proclaim this good news, but the other thing he was sent to do was to usher in this kingdom. And as we spoke about a few weeks ago, there was a preferred future. But the people were what was stopping this preferred future from coming. They didn't trust God. They didn't give their lives over to him. And they continued to fail again and again and again. And yet Jesus was sent, not simply to proclaim a new kingdom, but to usher it in through his sacrifice. We have a king who serves. A king who not only proclaims that something great is going to happen, but a king who makes things happen. And he made it happen through his death and through his resurrection. And he wants to invite you into a personal relationship with him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the invitation today. And we recognize, Lord, that you are the ultimate authority. And with your words come power and authority. And God, there's many things in our lives that many of us need to surrender to you. 
that we need to put it under your kingship. And for others of us, Lord, we're skeptical. And so maybe for us, simply the invitation to follow you, just to check you out, to see what you're about, is what we need. Fathers, Lord, we've been walking for you with you for a while and we've recognised that you're faithful. That you are who you say you are. And so your invitation for us today is to trust you with something that we're holding back. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a workplace situation. Maybe it's a family situation. You're inviting us to trust you in that, to take that step of faith. And for many of us, Lord, we've walked with you, we continue to trust you, and yet there's one area of our life where we don't obey you, more than one likely. And God, your invitation today is not simply to follow you and to trust you, but as we follow you and trust you, the invitation is to obey you, to do what you've asked us to do, that you might bring your kingdom alive in our hearts and in our lives today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you're not in it for the fame or the fortune. Thank you that you're here for your people. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.